what we really want to cultivate in good writers, which is that desire to find the perfect way of saying something. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, last week, Andrew, we had a conversation as we dug back into the archives of almost 20 years ago, you writing an article, Writing Without Tears, which either came as a result of your reaching the Reluctant Writer conference talk, or maybe they came about the same time. But this whole idea of breaking a very complex skill of writing English composition into small, manageable pieces. And we talked about the keyword outline and the unit one model and then a little bit into the unit two model. And these, of course, are our structural models of which there are nine and also, as you mentioned last week, extensions extensions <laughs> on that. Exactly. So, but there's more to our system than just these structural models, as if this wasn't enough. We have stylistic techniques. Our, our program is called Structure and Style. That's what we do. Teaching, writing, structure, and style. That's our teacher training course. Link in the show notes. <laughs> we also have our Structure and Style for Students video courses. Link in the show notes for all ages. And this is what we do. This was what makes us unique. This is how we teach writing. So can we spend a little bit more time talking about specifically the stylistic techniques, but generally why, what tools we use to teach the stylistic techniques and, of course, the all-powerful IEW checklist. Sure. Well, you know, one of the things that kids will do when they are able to write something is they will be limited to the vocabulary right. and the range of expression that they have in their database of language, mm -hmm. which they have acquired primarily environmentally. Right. So you think about a young child, a pre-writing child, where are they getting their language from? Mostly, hopefully, parents and family members. Um, as they get a little bit older, they may have access to media or mm -hmm. movies or mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. um, as they get a little bit older, they may have more other adults interacting with them and also more experience interacting with peers. Mm -hmm. And so that's all for most kids, kind of random. Mm -hmm. It's whatever happens to happen in their life. So whatever words they hear, often enough, are the words they're going to tend to use. Whatever uh, combinations of words, idioms, uh, grammatical structures they hear most often, that's what they're going to tend to use. Mm -hmm. And so most kids will generally write kind of the way they would talk, and the way they would talk would be 
informed primarily by random environmental influences. Sure. Now, part of what we've talked about a lot, and and you know that I would introduce the talk Nurturing Competent Communicators by saying the single, well, the two <laughs> most important things you can possibly do if you want a good writer 20 years from now is in essence, de-randomize that to some degree by intentionally putting in higher quality of language, yep. reading out loud in huge quantity every day. Mm-hmm. And kids reading on their own does not actually do the same thing as adults or older people reading to children. Mm-hmm. And we've unpacked that in many sure. places, so we sure. won't reiterate that. And then memorizing language, Mm -hmm. which is also not done in the general population much anymore. Right. Traditionally, uh, people would memorize things, um, prayers or creeds from a religious tradition, uh, a lot more in terms of memorized folk songs Mm -hmm. even. Right. Nursery rhymes were a cultural phenomenon. Most everyone would gain these. And then children in school would memorize beautiful poems and maybe even excerpts from famous speeches. Right. And that goes a long way in supplementing the database of language that they have available when they go to speak and write stuff. Yep. So that's very, very important. But that can be added to and strengthened by the use of a checklist Mm -hmm. of what we call the stylistic techniques. Right. And one of the short little things that I might say if someone says, so what's different about your writing program? Mm -hmm. I might say something like, well, we don't use the 10 good suggestions approach, (laughs) right? We use the 10 commandments. Here's the things you do and don't do. Right. (laughs) And mostly we're saying here's a list of things that you can intentionally do in your writing And it may or may not make the writing better Mm -hmm. at that given moment, but it absolutely will help make a better writer. Mm -hmm. And that's also a distinction that I try to make to parents is we don't add in these dress-ups and sentence openers and decorations so that every composition is better. It may or may not be. Usually is, and that's pleasant, Mm -hmm. but that's not the goal. Mm -hmm. The goal of the checklist is to make a better writer by helping to move those more sophisticated forms of vocabulary and grammatical range and even moving into, say, your, your world of literary devices, mm-hmm. right? From the passive vocabulary, i.e., I can kind of recognize that and know what it means, into your active vocabulary. Ah, I can use this word. Boom. And so the checklist is the kind of enforced way to help grow those muscles. Right. And and I just, you know, I, of course, am very familiar with checklists and have helped over the years, you know, create various checklists that we've used in various materials. But I just, for our listeners' sake, I just want to share a couple things. Generally, we don't start off with a checklist with 10 things on it. Yes. <laughs> I think of that. But I love, and I know you know this, Andrew, but my undergrad degree is in recreation administration. Yeah. And we had this conversation back in the 
early 80s about the value of fences in playgrounds. And there was a big push to remove fences from playgrounds because they were they were stifling children's creativity and all mm. this. But it's no, they played more freely when they knew what their boundaries were. Sure. And I think that's, you know, thinking of our, our theme, reluctant writers, they just want to know what they're supposed to do. And yeah. the checklist beautifully tells them, this is what you're supposed to do. And you think about anything you want to learn, you know, back to the gym metaphor. If you just walk in and say, well, I'll just do what I feel like, <laughs> right? you know, what are you going to accomplish? But if you have, you know, a coach mm-hmm. who says, okay, here's how you use this machine or this equipment and mm-hmm. you do a certain number of reps in this way and you mm-hmm. have a checklist, well, two things happen. You get more done because you have that checklist and you get the better variety and development. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing in music. You know, I don't just say, well, go practice a half an hour a day. No, I'd, I would always say, okay, Here's, you know, this thing, this number of times and this thing, this number of mm. times and all that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and organizations, where where would an organization be without standard operating procedures? So we know this is true, mm-hmm. but often we're afraid to inflict that kind of structure on our poor children <laughs> who we want to just learn to express yeah. themselves and mm-hmm. enjoy writing. And we've addressed that in a recent episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So looking at our style checklist, mm-hmm. we start with dress-ups, and that's what we call them because it makes so much sense to kids. Clothing, style. You can wear work clothes. You could wear play clothes. You could wear a uniform. You could wear a tuxedo. Mm-hmm. You could wear a business casual. Mm-hmm. Right? We change our clothes according to our audience, our Mm -hmm. purpose, but we can't change our clothes unless we have a variety of clothes available, Mm -hmm. right? If we were all in North Korea wearing the same clothes every day, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't see a lot of stylistic variety. No, we wouldn't. (laughs) Uh, So how do we stock the closet? How do we equip Mm -hmm. the students? And that's where these techniques are so useful. So we start with um, the the easiest one, which mm-hmm. is always a good place to start. And, mm-hmm. and in my experience, the easiest thing to teach a, a child to do is put in an L-Y adverb right. somewhere in the story. Mm-hmm. And then you can give them a nice long list of L-Y adverbs and say, okay, choose one of these. And hopefully your list has words that are kind of guaranteed to work in the article, whatever they're writing. Mm-hmm. Choose one of these, put it in there somewhere. Okay. Now, they may or may not have had that word in their active vocabulary. Mm-hmm. But if it's on the list and they basically understand the meaning of it and they choose to use it in writing and then maybe they even read what they wrote out loud to someone and reinforce it verbally, well, what what's happening there? And I always kind of tease people and say, well, what happens is A word hops off the list, through your eyes, into your brain, out your fingers, and into your paper, and you write a word you would not have been able to think of, thereby sounding smarter than you actually are, right? Which is what I'm always trying to do. (laughs) But that's the joke part, (laughs) Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. The actual thing that's happening is as it hops off the list through your brain into the paper, it is moving from passive vocabulary to active vocabulary. And with a few repetitions of that, 
Now it exists as a word you could not previously have used, but now you can even without the list.、Mm-hmm. And now, truly, you have become smarter than you previously were.、Mm-hmm. So, word lists that we put together for you know ly adverb, strong verb, quality adjective, those dress-up techniques are both temporary as well as permanent brain expanders. Right, love it, and. Uh, so this is, you know, just a delight.、Mm-hmm. It's just a delight for parents and teachers to see the growing vocabulary through what appears to be a relatively simple process:、mm-hmm. get word lists in front of kids, make them choose words off that to check the things off on the checklist, and boom, they are writing at a almost always at a level of sophistication higher. Than what they would have done without those two components, right? And I think of, you know, we we've talked. It seems like we talk a lot about what people say about what it is we do in a favorable way, but we have heard stories of parents and teachers whose students were accused of plagiarism that they could not have possibly written this because it sounds so sophisticated, and you know that's. Kind of unfortunate, but at the same time, I just think about the student who was able to produce that level of writing and go, "Wow, I I did that," and and they're proud of themselves for doing that. Sure, they are. And what happens too is that as students start to be comfortable using words that they didn't necessarily think of right on their own,、mm-hmm. they start to then say, "Well, what's the best one?"、Mm-hmm. Right?、Mm-hmm. Where it's what's the best word on that list? For this sentence or this idea, I want to express, and that shifts over to what we really want to cultivate in good writers, which is that desire to find the perfect way of saying something,、mm-hmm. and being not satisfied until we find the best possible way to say something,、mm-hmm. and that then causes students themselves to want to access other tools. Like a thesaurus,、mm-hmm. or now pretty much book thesauruses are extinct, but they will use online thesaurus、mm-hmm. style or on a tablet or a phone or something, and then they see, oh, there's so many more words. We have, I think, a particularly great word bank book、mm-hmm. for kids,、mm-hmm. and we have it in paper because、mm-hmm. I I think kids should. Use paper books as long as we can keep them、mm-hmm. doing so. Yep. Called a word right now, and we also have it as an app.、Mm-hmm. But I've seen that shift of a kid who just like I don't really care. I just want to get done with it. Over a period of you know months, usually,、mm-hmm. sometimes years, but they change into no. I want to find the best possible、mm-hmm. way to say this idea. Now there is a danger in giving kids word lists and thesauruses, and that is they just go pick one, and they don't really know the nuance of it. They use it, and now it's goofy.、Mm-hmm. It's it's awkward. It doesn't make sense. But that is a danger well worth taking, because it's it's not really a long term danger. It's not something that a kid's going to do for a long time. That's just an experimentation. That didn't quite work out. Give your example of the word "eat." Sub- oh yeah, well you know I had a student once who who wrote. It's when we were doing the whooping cranes,、mm-hmm. and they wrote some sentence like, "Whooping cranes erode small fish, 
small snakes and eggs of other birds or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I read it. I'm like, whooping cranes erode? (laughs) Where did you get this? And she said, well, it's in the thesaurus as a synonym for eat, Mm -hmm. which is true, but, right? So there's a nuance to words. But you think about anything we do. Again, go Mm -hmm. back to uh, any other art. Cooking, I think, is a great example. There are times in which we, in learning to do something better, will experiment. Mm -hmm. And not every experiment comes out great. And sometimes experiments come out bad and we learn, okay, not going to do that one again. Mm -hmm. And that's a bit of good information. Mm -hmm. So, okay, now that child who wrote Erode in an inappropriate usage, this is an opportunity for a parent or teacher to say, wow, that's so interesting that you found that word. Let's look a little more at the definition and see if it really fits. And then maybe there's some other synonyms for eat Mm -hmm. that you could use. And, and, you know, or or maybe just let it go and don't worry about it. It's not the end of the world if you write something that's a little goofy. One of the things I hear uh, from parents mostly, I think teachers are a little more able to handle this, but parents... And especially if it's their oldest child, mm-hmm. right? They'll come up and say, well, I'm a little worried about my my daughter's writing. It's just, I don't know. It's just awkward. Right. right? And I will always say, well, how old is this child? Oh, she's 12. All right. Well, think about 12-year-olds. You know, they look awkward. They talk awkwardly. They walk and move awkwardly. They feel awkward. Mm-hmm. They feel awkward about feeling awkward. Like everything about them is awkward. Mm-hmm. So why would you not expect their writing to be a little awkward? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that's one thing. I, I used to say this to violin you know, students, parents. Don't be afraid of awkwardness. Anytime you learn a new technique, there's going to be this period of getting used to it. Right. And that's, exactly. that's fine. So the checklists basically, you know, we don't have to go through every last little detail, but they include word usage requirements, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. in order to be finished, you have to have an L-Y adverb. In every paragraph. In every paragraph of a composition. So maybe it's only one. Because one paragraph, only, yeah. one L-Y word. Okay, anybody can do that. Mm-hmm. And then they can get the good feeling you get when you check something off, Yep. right? Yep. Then when that's easy, we add another thing mm-hmm. to the checklist. And when the second, when doing those two things is easy, we add a third thing. When doing those three things is easy, meaning they can do it without much help and it's not too goofy most of the time, we add another. And so this idea of easy plus one Mm -hmm. is what we're constantly trying to help teachers and parents understand. The problem is we can't we can't know what the schedule is. Right. How soon will this set of three become easy and you're ready for a fourth? Mm -hmm. We can guess, Mm -hmm. but all children are different. And so, you know, that's why I'm always saying to teachers and parents, don't let the checklist be the boss. You are in charge of the checklist. Mm -hmm. And if you need to line something out, do it. Right. Stick with what's easy and then and only then add in the next thing. So we have the vocabulary side of the dress-ups, which would be L-Y adverb, strong verb, quality adjective. Mm -hmm. And with that strong verb and quality adjective, we start – By saying, well, what's a strong verb? It's a verb that would give a stronger image or feeling. So what's a verb that doesn't necessarily give a strong image or feeling? He came into the room. Okay, well, how did he come in? 
he bolted in, he crept mm-hmm. in, he sneaked in, he waltzed in, right? Mm-hmm. And that's going to create a stronger image or feeling. So we give kids this banned words list mm-hmm. along with lots of substitutes. And that's like a super mini little thesaurus that they get used to having. And from there, we can start to expand it. And, and you don't take the banned words list forever. Right. I mean, there are some times when the best word is came mm-hmm. or said. Mm-hmm. But what I've noticed is that if you ban it for a while, it sensitizes the student to, okay, if I can't use that, what are some options? And then the next step is, well, is that the best one? And if not, what are some options? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, we have grammatical constructions. We have the who, which, or adjective clause. We have the uh, when, while, where, senses of although, which usually creates an adverb clause. We get into the sentence openers with adding prepositional phrases at the beginning of Mm -hmm. sentences. We get into, I would say, some fairly sophisticated grammatical constructions, such as a participle opener, Mm -hmm. ing participle opener. And then we move into an area that takes their writing beyond the colloquial. And that's when you start to say, well, this is really sophisticated because it's beyond what people normally do when they talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there was a book once called If You Can Talk, You Can Write. Okay. And I read it. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> and I thought I would write a rebuttal book called Don't Write Like You Talk. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. Let's improve. Let's increase. Let's work for right. a higher level of complexity. And And in a way, as you teach this, and it's a slow process, but as you teach the more complex sentence structures Mm -hmm. and kids wrestle with it a little bit and yeah okay it's awkward here it's awkward there but over the time it's less awkward pretty soon it's smooth you actually taught them more than just more complex use of language you've taught them more complex thought oh interesting yeah right because a a compound or complex sentence is bigger than just a simple sentence Mm -hmm. and you you read stuff like oh gosh the first sentence of the declaration of independence 72 words long. It's a very, very complex thought. Right, right. And yet it's a very important complex thought. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I have a friend who, who once said, and I, I love this, he said, well, if you can't read a complex sentence, you can't think a complex thought, please don't vote. Right. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's a connection there between hmm. complexity and yeah. depth of understanding of things. So it's just one of those aspects where we really can very legitimately say, listen, speak, read, write, think. Think. That's that's what we're really all about. Yep, yep. I I want to talk a little bit about grammar because you threw out a bunch of grammar terms, and I actually heard you teach a group of third-year students, and you told them, that the who, which clause, almost like you admitted sheepishly, that it actually has a... Official grammatical of, name. Right. And it's the adjectival clause. Well, yes. And I'm very hesitant to do that because mm-hmm. people who are extremely particular yes. about grammar yes. don't necessarily always agree with each other. This is true. And one expert may say this is an adjectival clause, and then another expert may say, no, 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 that's an antiquated term. It's an adjective clause. Right. And 
Do I really care? Well, I. I mean, I would like to know what is most likely to be correct, only so that if I use it in public, I don't embarrass myself in front in front of a bunch of grammarians. But as you say, that could change next but, year, but, so we don't know. And, and and so what I've noticed about grammar, if you use a word that kids can relate to, yep, right. Uh, and a perfect example of this is ing opener. Mm-hmm. You won't find that in a grammar book anywhere. Nope. Right? There's no such thing in the grammar world as an ing opener. But that is on our style checklist. But it makes total sense mm-hmm. when you try to teach it to an 11-year-old. Mm-hmm. You're going to start a sentence with a word that ends in ing. It's going to have to be a verb. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some rules and some techniques to do that well, mm-hmm. and you can teach all that stuff. Once you've been doing it for a while... Then you can add to that and say, well, this could be a participle opener. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you've got a word that doesn't mean anything, and you can attach it to something that does mean something. Because they've been doing it for a while. And now that word means something. Yep. Right? Yep. So I think what we do sometimes is backwards. We take little kids. We try to teach them words that do not mean anything to them. Mm-hmm. And then try to conceptually attach information to that mm-hmm. term, mm-hmm. but they're they're already gone. Whereas what I've discovered, even in my own life, if I kind of understand something in words that I already know, right. and then someone says, here's the term for that thing you already know, okay, super. I can now understand the word and retain it, usually. Mm-hmm. Because I have a concept to attach it to. So it's kind of, you know, I think in many ways putting the cart before the horse, so to speak, to teach grammatical terms before the kids actually have enough experience to attach it there. So that's why we say things like who, which clause. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, second year, third year. By the way, this thing that you know really well and have been doing for a while has a real name in the world of grammar heads. So, and, and then you can get in and say, why is that true? Mm-hmm. What's an adverb clause and why is this one? And then what's the difference between a participle and a gerund mm-hmm. that look very similar, mm-hmm. only they're different things? Well, if you've done those things, then adding the words is so much easier. Right. When I when I think about where we started last week and you were describing the teacher supply store that has the writing prompts, what's also right next to the writing prompts is the grammar books, you know, and where you're expected to learn how to write just by knowing these different terms of grammar. And, you know, I'm speaking from experience. My kids did many, many, many years of a grammar program before they started with IEW, and they learned more grammar in that first week because they had to somehow figure out an L-Y adverb in their writing, yeah. and now they could identify, and then dripped in a strong verb, and wow, now I know what a verb is. And Well, you know, you could apply that to anything. I mean, right. think about biology. Mm-hmm. You could look at pictures of different kinds of cells, mm-hmm. try to memorize those pictures, sure and learn the words that describe those things, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then pass a test. A whole different way of doing that would be to draw those cells Mm -hmm. and then learn the words that define them. And you'd have a whole lot better opportunity, chance, of passing that test. Right. 
But that takes too much time. So we can't really teach biology by having kids copy the illustrations in a 400-page biology textbook. So we're not we're not really giving them the opportunity to internalize mm-hmm. in the same way. And mm-hmm. that's what you know I often point out is yeah, you do this checklist, and it's fairly mechanical, and you pull words and you construct sentences and you check it off and you make it happen, and maybe it's a little awkward or clunky. But you do that for long enough, what's happening? You start to internalize mm-hmm. a sense of style. Mm-hmm. And as I say at the end of the TWSS, the goal here, or not even at the end of the seminar, at the end of the stylistic techniques, the goal is not to use a checklist for the rest of your life. A goal is to use the checklist until you can do 10 or 12 things in every paragraph and it has become easy, mm-hmm. at which point you graduate the checklist and then you can use or not use according to your purpose, your audience, right. the thing you're trying to say. And and then you've really reached the goal of the education in stylistic techniques. Right, right. So parents and teachers of reluctant writers, if you haven't already jumped in, I do recommend the Structure and Style for Students video courses. They are enjoyable for most students. I think some students might need some prodding, but certainly the assignments are... Or, or not prodding necessarily, just doing it together. Just doing it together. And just, yeah, yeah, don't with a... Yeah, mom, teacher... Don't, don't have an expectation for a reluctant writer yeah. that they will do everything all on their own the first time. Right. That's that's really, really good. You I'm know, glad we're... You do it together. And we, we operate in the world that way. Yeah. I mean, very, very seldom do we just do something with no input or feedback or... A lot of collaboration. Yep. So we have this idea that, okay, somehow if this child isn't doing it all on their own, yep. they're not learning it. No, yep. the way you learn stuff is by doing it together. Right. And again, pick your discipline, you know, sports, music, cooking, painting. If you want to improve, a coach who will do it with you. Yep. I love that. Is really the key. So, you know, oftentimes... That's that's the most important thing, isn't even the methodology, although ours works extremely well. The first thing would be just do it together. That's how they learn. Yep. Love it. Thank you, Andrew. Sure. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing. Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.